America's classic thrillers come to life. The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries. An adventure into suspense. There's got to be a way out of here. You used to go with her? Forget that. Oh, Professor, do ghostly footprints? The adventures of America's favorite young detectives come to television. Follow that ghost. The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries. Have you invented your villain? In every great story, there's a great villain. It's the personification of the dark side of our hero, where they risk going if they don't continue on their adventure. They are the mirror image of our hero, the antagonist to our protagonist. And so, because they are so closely mirrored, a great villain is one of the reasons why the hero must go on, not why they should stop. You've seen this in different ways, of course, because in great stories, somewhere, usually in the last act, the villain even tells our hero this, how they're just alike. Austin Powers even made it a joke by having the hero and villain played by the same actor. Well done, Mr. Powers. We're not so different, you and I. However, isn't it ironic that the very things that you stand for, free love, swinging, parties are all now in the 90s considered to be evil and it becomes the final urge for our hero to make the last dangerous jump into the villain's lair one of the dangers of course as storytellers is that our hero can become a cartoon the unbelievable villain they become a caricature so your audience doesn't really care if you win because it's just a monster Great villains have motivations that we can understand. The better the villain, the more we actually feel when they're defeated. And so it goes when we invent the villains in our marketing and our business, too. The better we can manifest good ones, the more interested we will be in the stories that we will have to tell. The villain doesn't have to be our competition, and in fact, the best villain probably isn't your competition. Your best villain is exactly like the great story. It's the understandable dark side of what your mission already is. It's the reason why you must go on. Netflix recently came out and said their main competition, their villain, was sleep. Airbnb has said they don't compete with other hotels. They compete with not going. An investment company that I recently worked with said their biggest villain was complacency. Your villain has to be powerful, at least as much or better, even more so than your hero. Finding your villain and making them substantial is an incredibly important part of our strategy. There's a wonderful scene from the TV series The West Wing when C.J. Craig, the press secretary, she's concerned that the special prosecutor who is at odds with the White House is actually a nice person and not that evil. They can't really fight hard against him without looking bad, so C.J. comes up with a different plan. Leo, we need to be investigated by someone who wants to kill us just to watch us die. We need someone perceived by the American people to be irresponsible, untrustworthy, partisan, ambitious, and thirsty for the limelight. Am I crazy or is this not a job for the U.S. House of Representatives? Well, they'll get around to it sooner or later. So let's make it sooner. Let's make it now. Rollins is driving him crazy. He's moving too slow. He won't talk to the press. They're ready to jump. I swear to God, Leo, I think we can move the show. 
You get a briefing now. Yeah. Show me what you're starting with. Yeah. You see, that's our opportunity as business strategists and storytellers. Invent the villain. Invent the villain who helps tell our story in the most vivid and most dramatic way possible. How will you know you found your villain? When going up against it scares you. And that's the theme of our show today, inventing your villain, and how inventing the best one is actually the best way for your hero to actually win. And now it's time for me and Joe to take our white cats and sneak away up to our evil lair. You ready for some sharks and laser beams? Well, then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 198 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, August 28th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co host, my colleague, my friend, and the biggest hero of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you? The biggest hero. Oh, now the biggest see, hero. Now I'm going to actually have to listen to your opening. Sometimes I, I don't, see, but yeah, I, you're going to have to listen to it. It's about inventing villains. Oh. We're inventing we're inventing villains and you have to invent good ones in order to tell your story better. So very nice. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, and you know what the inspiration came out of was the fake fight that was the McGregor, oh, McGregor Mayweather. Did you, Mayweather did, you, did you watch that? I, that I when did you talk not, about invented villains. Did you I did not I did not watch it. Did you pay $100 for a pay-per-view? I did not, but I but what I appreciated um in it was the fact that they did they both did such a great job of basically inventing the other as a villain that they created a narrative that everybody wanted to I mean there is no reason, no sporting reason that this fight should have ever taken place. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, there's just, there's no reason. I mean, the guy is a, you know, not a boxer versus, I mean, this is literally the, the Rocky Balboa fight where he fought Hulk Hogan, right? I it, mean, it's it that. It was, you know, and, the, and the way they marketed it was absolutely It's brilliant. brilliant. Bob, I it's was, absolutely brilliant. I was watching SportsCenter and Bob Lee said it was the long con. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And it's full of details, a great narrative, and they invented each other. So depending on, you know, if you were Team McGregor, you thought Mayweather was a washed up, you know, sort of, you know, guy that was, you know, evil and all that kind of stuff. And if you were on Team Mayweather, you you thought McGregor was a boastful, you know, sort of punk. 
and they were both right. They both created great villains, and so they created a great story. So that, and that's what that was what inspired the introduction. Well, you know what's really relevant to this conversation actually is I was talking with quite a few people that decided not to purchase it on pay per view because they knew it was going to be live streamed somewhere. And of course yeah. it was, and whether it was on Facebook or Periscope or Twitter, you could find it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And even Bob Lee mentioned that on SportsCenter. It's like pay-per-view has a big problem right now because you can't police that. So, I mean, it's some somebody basically bought the paper in most cases. I mean, you didn't see, I didn't see any of the live streams that were at the event itself, but people were buying the pay-per-view and then just, you know, basically pointing their phones at the screen so you right. can see it and broadcasting yeah. it out to, you know, thousands yeah, exactly. Well, didn't they have some problem? I mean, I heard there was some problem with the live stream I, or something going down, and they had to delay the fight or something. Yeah, there was something pay per view had somebody. Some people couldn't get access to it. So yeah, because he didn't win until I mean they delayed the fight. I mean, he didn't actually win until the like one a.m. east East Coast time or something. Did some the crazy- fight even take place? How do we know? That's a How good do we point. Know? It's like the moon landing, quite frankly. It's it's, it's just really it's like the moon yeah, and it's, it's like all the, a big fake. It's like the thermos. I mean, how how does the thermos know whether it's supposed <laughs> to keep things warm or keep things cold? It's the greatest invention it, ever. The thermos magnets. How do they work? <laughs> <laughs> and off the rails we go. Right at the start of this thing. <laughs> we're hey, uh, three minutes and 30 yeah. seconds in, and we're already well, off the Well, before rails. we get started, a couple things yeah. to note. Uh, this is the week before Content Marketing World. And if you haven't registered for Content Marketing World, I don't know what your problem is. There's still Come time. On. We want to Get see you there. there. Use code PNR100. Go to contentmarketingworld.com and register. We want to see you there. I'm so excited. I mean, this is obviously Content Marketing's holiday. will be next week. And, of course, you and I will be there with bells on. So we definitely want to see you there. Uh, we also are launching uh, Content Marketing Institute training. Our CMI University is launching September 1st. So you can also use the same coupon code PNR100 to get $100 off of that one. And we have a wonderful upfront sponsor to we talk do. about. It's, a, it's such a fantastic way to, 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 to kick things off because the coolest thing is, is that this is a sponsor that's coming back. And that's just amazing. The, well, just we love our repeat sponsor. And by the way, both yeah. our sponsors today have been great supporters of, uh, of Content Marketing Institute in all ways, shapes, and forms. But we like it the most when they sponsor this old marketing. That's but, right. Uh, widened uh, our friends, our digital uh, asset management company, they have a wonderful piece of content, and we love it when our sponsors put together amazing content. This one's called the Creative Workflow Workbook, and basically it's your guide to producing better work together. And they found that creative content production at most organizations – Organizations falls into five core steps, strategic planning, tactical planning, creation, deployment, and assessment. Where are your teams getting stuck? You can download the Creative Workflow Workbook. Say that three times. Creative Workflow Workbook. To find out, you can go to CMI.media.workbook. I mean, it's not that difficult. Come on, man. Come on. Did I tell you about the thermos? Have I told you about this? cmi.media slash pnr198b that's cmi.media slash pnr198b to download this or you can go to the show notes as always to download this great piece of content from our friends at widen and we certainly appreciate their support we do indeed 
We absolutely do indeed. Yeah, the Creative Workflow Workbook. It's uh, stop it. It's it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's just you're that just simple. showing off now. It's just that simple, folks. All right, we're going to top off our show here with our quick hit section, which is of course where we look at news more broadly and just things we think are really interesting to talk about that really affect us as business people, as marketers, and as content marketers. The things that we think you should be paying attention to too. Um, our first uh, thing that we'll cover will quickly here um, is from the Wall Street Journal. And this was, I, I have to t- tell you how many people sent this in. So oh thank gosh, you all yeah. of you who, who sent it in, but it didn't escape my attention. I actually got a push notification on this particular story. And I was in New York when it happened, um, actually speaking in New York, and it was the front page of the, 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 the paper version of the Wall Street Journal as well. So it was shoved in my face uh, as I was having my morning coffee. Um, and it is that WPP, the giant ad uh, agency conglomerate, sounds a warning signal on consumer ad spending. Shares sink. Um, the Wall Street Journal article opens up by saying some of the world's biggest consumer goods firms are ratcheting down ad spending, starving Madison Avenue of revenues and further threatening ad firms and ad-dependent media companies already coping with a rapid shift to digital advertising. Shares in the world's largest advertising company, London-based WPP, fell nearly 11% Wednesday after it reported a steeper-than-expected slowdown in global ad buying, particularly from consumer goods companies. It was the stock's biggest one-day drop in more than 18 years. Stocks of rivals also tumbled. WPP, which owns agencies such as J. Walter Thompson, Young & Rubicam, Ogilvy & Mather, said that the pain was global, with North American advertising pulling back especially hard. What did you make of this? I, I definitely have a take on it, but I'm, I'm curious well, I, to hear I, what you couple, have to say. A couple things. First, uh, advertising. I mean, <laughs> this is, I mean, the first issue is you, you have a general flight away from advertising. This is nothing new. It's the only uh, two companies that are really getting a lion's share of advertising and seeing growth are Google and Facebook. We've known this for a while. Uh, the other avenues are steadily tricking trickling down i wonder if this is sort of a tipping point because of and they mentioned it in this article the ad fraud issue is a real issue we'll talk about that a little bit in, in a second as well you've got yeah. people jumping to influencers because they can reach their audience more directly the article didn't talk about uh about these people creating their own content as much as i would have liked but i did want to run this by you i know you have a take but I've been talking with a number of enterprises over the past couple of weeks because, you know, I'm in full mode, full attendee recruitment mode. So I'm talking to a bunch of agencies and brands out there trying to figure out, hey, are you coming? Do you want to send a group? All that good stuff. I'm amazed by the number of especially high growth technology companies, but companies in general that are in a hiring freeze. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not a hiring freeze, a travel freeze. They actually have a travel freeze right now, even though it looks like on paper and uh, when they're out in you know in the stock market that things are going well. Underneath, you're seeing some concern, and there's a little bit of I don't know what's going to happen over the next six to twelve months. And I almost think, and this is why I wanted to get your take on it. If you see, feel this too, I feel it's almost back to 2007. I mean, this is the last time I really started to hear about the the. The, the travel freeze that's going on and you know, we're going to we're going to cut down on our training and we're cutting down on marketing and everything seems to be slowing down a bit because I think they're preparing for a downturn. Now, I know that's advertising aside. This is more general economics, but are you feeling that as well? Do you see some of that? 
Yes, is the headline to that. Um, there are there are a lot of people out there that are that are talking about how I don't know that it's. 2007. I mean, let's, let's good lord. Well, I know it's, it's not, not on the verge I mean, of the Great Depression, but we've been in a right. bull market since March of 2009. There is a correction coming. Yes. There's no doubt that there's a correction coming, um, and that's that's been talked about for a long time, um, and and that that you know we're, we're that that there is some level of you know overvalue in the market and all that kind of stuff and. I think, quite honestly, this is separate from that. I mean, I know that's the way that, you know, Sir Martin Sorrell is going to position this, is that this is a cyclical thing and that, you know, this is something that is part of the larger economy, et cetera, et cetera. But when you look at some of the previous things that have come out with some of the larger advertisers here, namely P&G and Unilever, which are, you know, the the, the two of the largest ones that are mentioned here, it's not that they're shorting marketing right they're not they're they're looking at different ways of spending their money and finding that sales are robust right they're having good years right so mm-hmm. so it's a it's moving money around not necessarily a a a, a you know a declining advertising mm-hmm. budget you know and in fact you know all the studies this year have said that digital ad budgets and budgets generally speaking are up um for the most part you know they're either the same or up from a marketing budgeting standpoint so now, having said that, that speaks to the the sort of this being a, a I believe an indicator, as we've talked about many times on this show, um, of the the larger issue with advertising spending and the sort of pin getting popped in the bubble here, um, and finally, you know, sort of that you know looking toward a market correction in just the mark, you know, in just the advertising, advertising space. Yeah. That's what that's what I believe is happening here. Now the WPPs of the world will be the direct, you know, pain felt in that in that uh, in that bubble popping, as it were. Broadly speaking, I think you know. Look, I'm I typically I'm the worst at this because I'm such an optimist. I I, I don't think that it's I don't think we're due for something really bad. I think the correction is in several industries, um, and I, I think that you know because so much of the movement in the stock market is based on. The movement in Facebook and Google, you know, the uh, Facebook, Google, Apple, at uh, all are really the drivers of the market these days. So we're, you know, we're seeing relatively okay growth. Um, but I think there's a lot of, you know, what I think it really is 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 that there's a, I mean, not to get political, but there's a lot of fear right now. There's a lot of fear that things are going to change in a really bad way, and I think companies are being conservative because of it. I think, you know, despite what we're Seeing um, in the marketplace, you know, sort of from the fundamental standpoint, I think there's a lot of real, you know, sort of unease right now with with the way things are. Well, I think it's it's even I would call it different than fear. I would say it's uncertainty. It's uncertainty yeah, well, might fa- be the worst. Enough. Yeah, that might fair be the enough. worst thing fair and because they don't know. You've got some pulling back, and maybe it's. We talked about this a couple uh, episodes ago when we we're talking about Procter and Gamble making this decision to pull back. The point that I'm making about the where we're going with the the economic cycle or whatever the case is is I think it becomes an excuse, and this will uh, maybe this advertising issue will happen quicker than we thought it would, and we're gonna we're at a tipping point where we're gonna really see a downturn because now you've got people that because of this uncertainty can say look we're we're pulling we're we're pulling it right now, absolutely gonna pull it right now maybe regardless so. yeah and then maybe everything so. you're saying is true. But at the same time, when you say the digital advertising spend is up, 
even the article says 77% of new dollars are going to two companies. Right. Facebook and That's Google. That's exactly right. That is just, uh, I mean, because when you say digital ad spending is up, it's not up at most media companies right. significantly exactly that right. we're talking to. That's exactly right. And that's where you're seeing sort of the focus, you know, all of the movement in the market and the sort of focus of where budgets are in our space, which is, of course, marketing and advertising. Because if we talk about healthcare or, you know, or, you know, big industry, there are, you know, other things. But for what we are inside baseball on, that movement is is really the movement of just a very few number of players. And I think as we start getting closer, I mean, we predicted this, right? I don't know how many shows it was ago, but, but it was spring. And I think I said in a rant and, and we were, you and I were talking about it that we thought the end of this year, there would be a big, there would be a big event that sort of was the sort of bellwether event that sort of said that consumer ad spending and, and, and ad spending generally was going to take a dive. And this may be it. This may, this, this may, this may be the, that bellwether event, or it may be something that else that pops the bubble toward the, the end of the fourth quarter. So who knows? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a meaningful story nonetheless. I just can't believe that the Wall Street Journal, again, brings up influencer marketing and doesn't say anything about content creation coming from the brand side. I mean, come on. That's part of this equation. They have covered funny it. Funny enough, you, you, there was funny enough that at that event that I was at in New York, yeah. that this was big. It was a financial services event. And so guess who was there front and center were four people from the Wall Street Journal. And I said to him, it's content marketing. Look at it. And they were there. They were, so we'll see if... <laughs> we'll they see obviously if that didn't get anywhere. that memo in time because <laughs> this was already published. But if, if it would have been two yes. days earlier, they would have yes, said, Mr. Correct. Rose, who's predicted the downfall of that's advertising right. for years. I wish they would have done that. But they, they didn't. Alas. They didn't. Alas, they did not. Alas, they did so not. speaking of advertising and the bottom falling out here, our next story, which is also from the Wall Street Journal, um, talks about uh, one of the big companies here, which of course is Google, the Goog, um, and how they are. The headline here is Google issuing refunds to advertisers over fake traffic plans new safeguard. And so the article opens up by saying, Google is issuing refunds for ads that ran on websites with fake traffic, people familiar with the situation said. As the web giant develops a tool to give marketers more transparency about the ads they buy through its platform. In the past few weeks, the Alphabet Inc. unit has been informed, um, has informed rather hundreds of marketers and ad agency partners about the issue with invalid traffic known in the industry as ad fraud. Um, or, and, well, I was going to go off on a thing there, but anyway, the article <laughs> continues, the ads were brought using the company's double-click bid manager over the course of a few months this year, primarily in the second quarter. Yeah, spoiler alert, no, it's all the time. It's not just the second quarter. It's first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, today, going on as we speak. So, um, wake up. <laughs> anyway, what did you think about this article? <laughs> well, I mean, I think they should do this because... Uh, like, let's say that we invited everyone to a big event, but then they got there and there was no people and no speakers. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's like we are promising to deliver a message. No, worse, to you. worse, worse. It's it's like you showed up and they're like a bunch of mannequins sitting in the, <laughs> in, sitting in the audience, and you're basically going, "See, there are people here." They're, no, they're real people. They're, they're real. They really, move. Look, like, just go up to them yeah. and move the It's arms. like Weekend at Bernie's it or something, right? Where you're walking that, through going, hi, I'm a mannequin and I'm a real person and I can view your <laughs> talk. But no, but really what most companies are saying is, no, it was a person. It should count. Right. Anyways, 
but th- but they they should do this. Obviously, they should give refunds, but they're not doing enough because they say that a lot of this is not in Google's control because of the fact it's not. that well, I know it's not, but DoubleClick works with a bunch of uh, networks and companies that then push that advertising out. And I think that what I would like to see, and it says a little bit in this article that Google's going to do a little bit better job of working with those ex- online ad exchanges, but I think they have to really come down hard here because Google has the power to do that. And they have to come down hard and say, look, you if you don't have X percent of deliverability of, you know, of the, of the message or of the ad, then you can't be part of our online ad exchange. That's the thing, though, man. I mean, it, it's 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 a really really interesting challenge because, look, if you believe that it's thirty percent, um, and I've seen numbers that say that, you yeah. know, that even from the IAB, the IAB has said numbers like thirty percent of all the traffic that you know that's basically seventy percent is as good as it gets. That's the new normal. So if, You've said it many yeah. times on this podcast. Yeah, and it's so if thirty percent. If you're willing to chop off thirty percent of your revenue because you know it's fake, man, I, you know I, I, that when you start talking numbers like that and and you say, hey, listen, you know, I know I know Wall Street, you love our ad numbers. I mean, you talk about something that would precipitate sort of a collapse of the ad ad buying market. You know, basically chopping off thirty percent of it to say, yeah, no, it's all fake. We're going to chop it off. We're going to make it one time chop, you know, and come down hard on this and basically, you know, cut out 30% of revenue for, for forever. Um, and so it's, it's a tough one. It is a tough one to do. Well, I love how they, they too, they talk about how there is some progress being made because it looks like there's a 10% decrease of ad fraud down from 6.5 billion or whatever. I, I don't mean whatever, it's still it's six billion dollars. Well, that, well, that's 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 see that's the thing. It's like you look at Google here, and they and they go, "Hey, we'll give you back ten percent of your ad buy as a refund because some of it was fake traffic, right?" And so that to them is quite frankly, a, you know, it's a speeding fine, right? So it's you know they basically continue on the autobahn there, going two hundred and eighty miles an hour, and they go, "Oh, sorry, we got caught this one." Well, here's a ten percent refund. Then the ad agency goes, "Hey, we got a ten percent refund. Give that back to the, you know, give that back to the client, or buy something else with it, buy some more ads with it, or whatever we're going to do with it." They look good to the client. The client is the one on the hook for less deliverability, less marketing results, et cetera, et cetera. But Google and the ad agency. See, they're all good, right? Because they 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 basically can continue to do that all day. For them, it's just an annoyance cost to give these refunds. So it's 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 really how long is the industry going to put up with this kind of model before somebody goes, "That's just unacceptable." It's just unacceptable that we have to we you know, we have we have to measure in a different way. We have to measure value in a different way. Well, if we go back to the article we just covered, maybe the industry is starting to say that. I think they are. I, th- so. I think I think they are. And there might be a keynote at this year's Content Marketing World that's going to talk about a new method of measuring value. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder who that could be. Hmm. Because it's not me. That's Things not my that make you go, hmm. make you go, hmm. Okay. Very <laughs> All right. Good. Last in our quick hits is, uh, and we'll cover this quickly, is our Washington. Uh, it comes from Digiday, but the headline is Washington Post brings artificial intelligence to its native ads platform. Big hat tip here to Alex Chambers um, and Frank Strong. Both Alex and Frank sent this over via the hashtag. So thank you, Alex and Frank. Um, Alex at, at AlexNYC. Um, on the Twitter and Frank Strong at Frank underscore Strong. Now you see, Bethany, 
that those are normal. Those are, are you those listening, are Bethany? Twitter hack. Yeah, those are normal yeah. Twitter. Th- anyway, sorry, <laughs> Bethany. I love you, Bethany, so much. Um, anyway, the article opens up by saying publishers are running into a wall with so-called native ads. <laughs> this so-called native ad. What is that? Once mean? seen, like, I don't. Know, it's so it's snarky right shot. off the top, right? Yeah. <laughs> Once seen as the panacea for declining digital ad rates, these ads are designed to mimic editorial content. Have turned out to be costly to make and distribute, and hard to scale, which makes them a tough sell with advertisers and also eats into publishers' profit margins. Meanwhile, marketers are also getting more comfortable sidestepping publishers, creating branded content on their own and distributing it themselves. The Washington Post is trying to solve that problem with artificial intelligence. It built an ad product called Own, uh, O-W-N, that lets brands use their own content but promises to improve its chances of being seen and read by the hate uh, hate of Heliograph, a news writing bot the Post built for the editorial site, which we actually got to hear all about at Intelligent Content Conference um, uh, uh, just this year, which um, is fantastic. Anyway, what did you think about this, the AI sort of being able to help out native ad placement here. Yeah, I mean, Dr. Sam Hahn did that presentation at Intelligent Content yeah. Conference on Heliograph, and it's fascinating. But It truly is. But, big but here, the key is is that you have to have quality, targeted, uh, valuable content uh, in order to make this work. That, I think, is the issue here. So there's, there's a couple things that I just want to make sure everyone listening to, to this is clear about. There are no, hardly any companies. So let's just say uh, 1% of the media companies out there actually enjoy creating content for brands. The other That's ones right. absolutely don't want to do it because the article talks about this. It's more costly to distribute. It's, and it's, it's difficult to distribute and it's hard to scale. No, nobody wants to do this. It's very tough. You want, I mean, everybody wants the old uh, gross margins that used to happen with, you know, print advertising, if you will, and or maybe on the event side. They don't want to put their really talented people on and help these brands create valuable content. And so what did the Washington Post do? They said, oh, we've got a solution. We'll just give them a whole section of the site, and we've got this AI tool that will surface this content, and it'll be great. Now, what I thought of immediately, Robert, when I read this was it's almost like a smarter version of Forbes Brand Voice, where the brands get to create content, uh, you know, on their own little like microsite, if you will, and then of course, and then the tool, uh, the this own tool will sort of find a place for it. But the problem is that that does nothing with the quality of content issue no it has nothing to do with it right so what but what happens is and they say this at the end of the article they say but if the brands have a tough time in creating the content which they will by the way for the most part depending on who's owning that at the brand then they'll say oh look your post isn't doing well we have a team at the washington post that can help make that content better and by the way that's the worst model in the world because it's more costly to go and take somebody's content that they created and make it better than if you just started from scratch. Yeah. People don't realize that. It's like, oh, no, no, we've got a whole team that could go in and touch up that content. Oh, my God. The editorial team just shivers when they hear that. That's because right. Because there's no good that can come from, ha- come from that at all. It, it's absolutely the case. And I'll tell you, I'm hearing that exactly that from the publishers that like not to bring up this New York trip again, but when I was in New York speaking at this financial services event, 
there were publishers from many of the content studios, many of, you know, from, from the New York Times, from CNN, from, you know, from uh, Condé Nast, from, you know, there was a bunch of them there from these content studios. And they were all saying the same thing. You know, none of the explicitly the ones that I mentioned, but, the, but they're ostensibly saying all the same thing was that their biggest challenge is quite frankly that clients are coming to them with really crappy content that they're saying, just can you just touch this up? And they're saying, no, we actually have to create the content yeah. and then you sponsor it. That's the, that's the way this works. And that's the biggest fight that they're having right now is this quote unquote strategy fight over who creates the content and who's good at it. I like the uh, the whole idea of this when you read it. If you don't have a history of what's happened in the industry, it sounds really good. Yeah, but right. it's absolutely not going to work. Sorry, it's not. yeah, it's well, it's Fro- <laughs> it's Forbes brand voice, or it's you know, it's whoever's going to buy Medium is going to do this kind. Of, that's that's that you know, some publisher is going to buy Medium and try this kind of idea, and that's you know, and and it'll be the same thing. Well, the Washington Post can make this work because they oversee their own content, and they have their own quality standards, and then you can let the the AI tool do its thing. That's right. But you have to have a good base to work with. Artificial intelligence assumes one thing, and that's intelligence. So, you know what? Yeah. It's only mostly dead. It's only it's mostly AI. <laughs> it's only mostly intelligent. All right, let's cover some of our in-depth stories here um, before we uh, get too far into our show. And the first one we will cover here very, very quickly because it's just a study and Joe loves studies here. It comes from Marketing Profs. Um, The headline here is The Engagement Gap, How B2B and B2C Firms Are Missing the Mark. Um, The article opens up by saying, most marketers say they have a deep understanding of how to engage consumers, but many consumers do not agree with that assessment, according to a recent research study from Marketo. Um, the report was based on data from a survey of 1,192 marketers who are manager level and above, 511 B2C consumers, and 489 B2B customers in France, Germany, United Kingdom, and the United States. 82% of the marketers surveyed said they have a deep understanding of how their consumers want to engage. However, 65% of B2B customers and only 47% of B2C consumers say that brands um, are doing a good job. They say, um, wait, hold on, what does this say here? Oh, 65% of B2B customers and 47% of B2C customers say that the brands are actually, they could do a better job of aligning engagement activities with their needs. Lots of numbers. Uh, Linda, numbers, numbers, numbers. Yeah, lots of numbers there. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I got a quick take with this. Yeah. So I'll read this again. 82% okay. of marketers surveyed say they have a deep understanding of how their consumers want to engage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna right. to give you the real stat. The real yeah. stat is 82% of marketers surveyed say that they understand how they want to engage with customers. That's right. They they know how they want to do it. There is no way that 8 out of 10 marketers know how their consumers want to engage. Because you and I have been in those meetings when they're trying to, oh, here's the funnel and here's the here's the customer journey. And you look at it and you're like, what? That's that's a, I think the one that you gave was, looked like uh, it looked like a map of England, like the outside of England when you had to plot the the right. buyer's exactly. journey. The, right. one, the buyer's the one, journey. Yeah, that one. That's you right. Uh, all I would say is, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with the survey. I believe it. You know these these numbers are probably accurate for how marketers f- think they feel, but most of the ones that we come in contact with really have no idea what their consumers' pain points are and how they really want to engage. And I think this is it. Just shows that there's a problem. 
There's a real yeah. disconnect because we are very confident with the content we are creating when we probably shouldn't be. We should probably be right. asking more questions. So. That's right. Well, and what I would say is is that I, I, I would probably split that 82% into two groups, right? One is who know and do have a deep understanding of how their consumers want to engage but aren't doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but, and then there's another half that absolutely is clueless about how their consumers want to engage. So that, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's basically the, the content we're creating. I mean, it comes across every year when we do, um, and I haven't seen the top lines from this year yet, but every year when we do our study, we find the same two challenges over and over. The biggest challenge, creating engaging content for my customers. I just, it's, it's very hard. It's a hard thing to do. It's the one thing that it's really difficult to do, and most um, most businesses are not terribly good at it yet. Well, even with even with the last story we talked about, basically there's usually there's usually a content champion that really understands it. They're really behind it. They really get it. They put a team together. They create based on the research that they have and the insight that they have what they believe is the best possible content, and then it goes through. Uh, the corporate communications team, it goes through PR, it goes through legal, and it comes out a big pile of whatever. So, and then that's what, that's what gets published. It's unfortunate, but that's the way that it is right now. And we can't get out of our own way. And I actually was on an interview this morning that said, that's, that's why I was talking about how it's so much easier for smaller companies to do this because the biggest issue with content marketing or content as a business model, as we talk about in killing marketing is change management. That's right. That is the issue. This is a huge change management issue because we are still taught and the marketers that are still overseeing this have been taught whatever you would call traditional marketing from university if they went to university at all. And most of those uh, issues don't exist anymore because it's completely changed. But yet we're still set up the same way we were 75 years ago. Exactly. I'm getting off the soapbox there. So if only somebody would write a book on this. I know if, if, yeah. And, and, and talk about a fundamental change of marketing. That's exactly right. Maybe some, somebody will do that. Yeah. All right. right. Um, so, uh, our last story that we'll cover here in our in depth, um, for the show is about, you know, I I know it's your favorite star, Joe, Gwyneth Paltrow. She's, she's gotta be one of your favorites out there. I think anyway, Gwyneth Paltrow's goop. Um, just got slammed for deceptive advertising. This uh, article coming to us courtesy of BuzzFeed. Gwyneth Paltrow's goop, um, I just like saying goop, um, (laughs) routinely draws criticism for its promotion of crystals, supplements. Not going to read that next one. Um, Let's just say it's jade eggs that you put somewhere. Um, And all manner of other health products. Now a consumer watchdog group says that goop, um, can't back up many of its promises with about improving health, and it wants regulators to investigate what it says is deceptive advertising. Truth in Advertising on Tuesday said that it had cataloged more than 50 instances of an e-commerce startup claiming that its products, along with outside products it promotes on its blog and its newsletter, could treat, cure, prevent, alleviate, or reduce the risk of ailments such as infertility, depression, psoriasis, anxiety, and even cancer. Blah, blah, blah. It goes on to talk about how she's in a lot of trouble with this. Um, and to me, I mean, this is, it's interesting because what they're really talking about are not what we would think of as ads. They're thinking about, they're talking about content marketing, right? They're talking about the content marketing that she's creating on her property is actually over-promising and not delivering. What did you think? I actually was, this is really interesting. I, I read through this a couple times because I'm trying to figure this out because they're talking about two different things. One right. is they're talking about a product and they're making what I would call very definitive claims. 
So instead of saying things like may or happens in some cases, they're saying it absolutely easy. Uh, you know, I don't want to go through some of these examples either uh, because I'm not a woman. Uh, but right. it talks about uh, where uh, these things absolutely work in this case and you have to try them. And it's almost because they're so definitive. And that's just that's just talking about the product itself. What's separate is when they're talking about the content itself. Like, for example, it says one post promoting walking barefoot, which they call earthing, which I think is the most amazing thing. I'm going to, I'm going to genius. I'm going to, yeah, genius. It is absolutely Pretty genius. genius. Um, earthing. Now they're just, they're, they're talking about the content itself and not the product. So it's almost like we've got to separate it because if you're making unsubstantiated claims about a product, I think that's very different than if you do it in content, because if we're, it seems like truth in advertising is talking about product. If we go to content and really look at that, then you can't just bring in goop. You have to bring in, uh, you have to bring in Breitbart. You have to bring in Fox. You have to bring in MSNBC. Whatever the case is, right? Yep. You have to bring in exactly all those right. groups because they're doing the same things. So, I, I what I what I would almost lean against BuzzFeed, who wrote this story, is I think they got confused, or truth in advertising is confused because it's one or the other. They're either talking about their products or they're talking about. They're, they're saying things incorrectly in the content, which I think are two different things. Would you agree with that? That's right. I totally agree with that because, you know, look, I read the, I read the blog post on earthing because I'm just fascinated with the whole thing. And so earthing, which basically is you walking barefoot on the beach or walking barefoot on the earth. Um, and it, they talk, this post talks about how it's amazing for health purposes and it can help you achieve better energy and it helps you achieve, you know, sort of relaxation and all sorts of other health benefits and et cetera, et cetera, which is an opinion. And it's, they're certainly fine to have it and it's a piece of content and you can agree or disagree violently with that and, and, and all of that. But it's no different than just exactly what you just mentioned that you might read on Breitbart or Fox News or MSNBC or anything else that has any piece of content with an opinion. It's an a, opinion you know, piece. it's, yeah. here's what I think, right? Here's, we think that we, this is what we believe. Now, where it crosses a line is when they sell, when they're, just to your point, is when they're selling a product and they're saying this product does cures all these things. So if they have the earthing product, you know, which is a crystal you stick in your pocket or something like that, and that that product by buying it will cure all these ailments that you have, that's when it should get in trouble. That's and so you're absolutely I couldn't agree with you more that this article didn't really make that distinction very well. Now whether they didn't make the distinction and the truth and advertising group is or whether the truth and advertising um, group doesn't know either is a real interesting issue because as we've talked, I mean, it was, it's been about a year since we actually talked about this on the show, but this is something where the, the, the federal trade commission has said that they're going to come down on content and, and those things more, you know, they came down on the Instagram feed of the Kardashian girl. They've, 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 they've come down on other folks that have made claims in other parts of social media and content marketing is certainly not, you know, is certainly not immune to that. But it's a very different thing when we start talking about the difference between content and product advertising. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is where they really need to get a good uh, work with the product copywriter and legal <laughs> at the same time, yeah. because this is not about, uh, you know, we're not covering the news here. We're not taking a specific stance on our feelings about what's going on in the industry. We are saying that we're offering this product and this pro product can cure blindness or whatever. This is That's more right. like, uh, you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not type stuff. So you have to either, uh, 
you have to do your work on that. And and that's why I'm surprised that BuzzFeed said, oh, it went to the, you know, if, if there's an article about earthing and Gwyneth Paltrow swears by it, I don't care. That's fine. Right. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's you her don't opinion. You do it. It's, right. It should yeah, be. Exactly. It, and if you want to label it, this is my opinion, opinion piece. Or if you're going to go more in depth and you want to get uh, commentary from some of the leading doctors around the world, that's make, that makes it more substantial then. Then I can, but hopefully that'll make it more credible, if you will. So that's right. There you go. That's exactly right. Well, speaking of products that basically will cure what ails you, I mean, I think our our sponsor for the for the show, our show sponsor this week, I think that I think their product doesn't it doesn't it solve like you know, it solves like arthritis and all sorts of things, doesn't it? Yeah, I, but I think <laughs> that you you have to be barefoot walking <laughs> right. on the sand. Walk, yeah, okay. and it will it will do it. <laughs> so this is walking exactly. in hand and This is from our friends at CoSchedule. They have an yes. exclusive for listeners of the PNR <clears throat> This Old Marketing Podcast. You can try CoSchedule absolutely free for 21 days. And uh, they've got one, three wonderful points that they want me to read out. First of all, it's the number one marketing calendar for everything you need organized. Get a bird's eye view of all your content and social promotion. Organize your content and build a consistent schedule so you can publish faster and more often. That was one. There are two more. Here's two. Workflow oh management. Gosh. I know. Keep everyone on the same page with clear directives. Never wonder who's doing what or where you are in a project. And we know a lot of companies that just do this by email, and I don't know how they do it. Number three, social promotion. Create all your social in one place. Focus your efforts on quality messaging and stop spending your valuable time jumping from one tool to the next. If you're not sure that you want to invest a lot of money in a tool, go ahead and try CoSchedule for free for 21 days. You can get this by going to cmi.media slash pnr198a. That's cmi.media slash pnr198a to try CoSchedule for free for 21 days. And super thankful for co-schedule for sponsoring this and giving our wonderful listeners this amazing opportunity as well as and i hear that if you if you try for 21 days you will be allowed to walk on the beach barefoot and i hear it's i hear it's even better i hear it's even better yes i've heard that i think that's i think that's definitely one of the benefits is that you're allowed to go walk on the beach barefoot. That's it's it. a it's it's a good thing. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much to CoSchedule for their sponsorship. And now it is time for your favorite part of the show, ladies and gentlemen, it is our rants and rave section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we're snidely whiplash, the villain that we've invented, or makes us feel like we're the hero of the story moving forward, getting to the girl. Um, okay. So let's see. I have this old marketing this week. Of course you do. Of course I do. Of course I do. Let's get real. Of course. You don't even have to say this anymore. You don't have to say, like you only have to say it if I have it. But of course. Because then we'll play special music. Yes. Yes, that's right. Okay. So I have a rave um, this week. Um, it's a mini rave. It's it's just kind of something I thought was really fun and interesting. Big hat tip here to Dan Hockley, um, who sent this in via the hashtag. Hi, Dan. How are things down under? Um, and Dan sent over this from Mumbrella. Now, if you don't remember, a couple of weeks ago on the show... We talked about uh, an article uh, that was actually on Mumbrella um, that talked about the how content marketing was overhyped and that it was all centered around the quote-unquote demise of King Content, one of the bigger agencies in this space. And um, everybody sort of went, nah, content is actually an important thing um, for the APAC uh, Asia-Pacific region. 
And so a new global report, this is this link we'll put to in the show notes, of course, uh, by Newbase, formerly known as Publicitas, um, which is just an odd company name. But anyway, revealed that nearly 60% of APAC marketers and agency bosses believe that content marketing to be a main priority for the industry, while only half worldwide considered as a top focus. So this is something I can tell you that just I mean, anecdotally, sort of emotionally, I feel to be absolutely true. This is why I was so hot on this one when this came out um, a few weeks ago about King Content and the sort of demise of content marketing. Because every time I go to Australia, every time I go to the Asia-Pacific region, it is huge. It's it's something that everybody is focused on. Um, the article talks about the top 10 priorities for each market – um, and starts to talk about things like programmatic and ad personalization and even ROI and accountability and those kinds of content quality. But basically says content marketing in, for the APAC region is really the number one, even over things like ROI and accountability, which I just find amazing. Um, if you look at some of the similar types of studies that were done here in the States or done in Europe, that content marketing is high, but it certainly doesn't rank as high as it, as it did here for this uh, in this particular study. So if you're in the APAC region or if you're looking for more sort of fodder for your business case in terms of priorities, um, <clears throat> I think this is a great study to point to. I think it's a very interesting one. The other thing that I would point out is, and I think this is just continuing to be true um, for all my friends down under in Oz, they're avoiding many of the mistakes that we're making here in the states. They may, you know, they they often will say to me, "Well, we're a couple of years behind the states." And I say, "Yeah, that may be true. That may be true, but you're like you're watching the US do all these silly things and sort of getting wrapped around the axle of SEO or getting wrapped around the axle of um, you know the change management piece or the priority of measurement or the pre- you know all of these things that we're sort of letting get in our way of actually evolving into this content oriented practice and the APAC region just seems to not fall into those same traps they're you know they have their own challenges for sure but they're 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 really moving in a very quick and efficient way and I just think it's a really interesting market to watch. Um, if, uh, yeah, if I were focusing somewhere, if I were, if I, like, if I were ahead of an agency somewhere, the Asia pack region is exactly where I would focus for, for content marketing. Cause it's just a huge growth opportunity. And we, as we start talking about maybe limitations here in the U S and economies, that's going to be interesting to see what happens in Asia. So there you go. That's my rave. Yeah. I've never, I've never believed that they were two years behind. But they always, I've never I think be- they yeah, just always yeah. say that they're, because they're always, they're always so nice. Everyone you run into over there, they almost That's were exactly. apologetic. It's like, oh, you know, we're just learning from you guys in the States or whatever. And I'm like, no, you're doing some pretty amazing work over here. So they are, they're absolutely doing some amazing work. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So uh, I'm going to, I have a little story to tell you for my, oh, I have okay. a, I have a rant and a rave. Okay. Actually, it's first a rave, then a rant. So okay. last right. week I was with the family. Uh, yeah. Made a stop to Chipotle uh, because we love Chipotle. Always, and, and oh, I we, love Chipotle. Too. Ab- I love the readable. chips. Absolutely love the chips. Um, and I, it's and you and I talked this before, but I noticed, of course, on the side of their bags and cups, they always have like short stories, poems, or other interesting content. And I've always loved that about Chipotle. So I'm sit just so picture this. I'm sitting inside Chipotle. I'm looking out the window. And I see a U-Haul truck. (laughs) And on the side of the truck was this beautiful image of Sacagawea painted inside the state of Montana. 
And the script underneath the image told me I could find out more about Sacagawea and what she did in Montana at uhaul.com. And I'm like, oh, this is this could be great. Are they telling stories about Sacagawea? Are they going to tell me, like, I need to go to Montana to do stuff or whatever? Now, before I tell the rest of the story, Robert, yeah, I, I can't tell you how geeked out I was about these two examples because I'm sitting there. <laughs> You know, two two very different companies trying to engage with their customers and prospects by telling stories. I mean, that's very cool. I, I was very, like, right. so I, I just wanted to put that out there because I'm a you know I'm I'm a content marketer. Uh, so like any any good content marketer, as soon as I get back to the homestead, I wanted to see how the rest of their stories progressed. So I I go you know go to uhaul.com as they asked me to. They pointed. They said, hey, you want to find out more about Sacagawea? Go to uhaul.com and find out more. Okay. So I go to uhaul.com. You know what I find? Nothing. There's huh. nothing on Sacagawea on uhaul.com. I checked what? every I'm, – I'm serious. I checked up and down, couldn't find anything. And by the way, there were other U-Hauls there because the Chipotle that I was at was right next to a U-Haul dealership. There were no caves of Kentucky. Uh, there were no serpent mounds in Ohio. I couldn't find any of the stories that they talked about on the side of their truck. So I was a little bit – you know, disappointed. So what am I? So what am I going to do? So I go to the knower of all things. I go to Google, and I find this mini microsite. This took a little searching, by the way, which looked exactly like uhaul.com with the rest of the story. Now this was in a sub site, sub super duper microsite called Super Graphics. Which was, by the way, pretty amazing because these super graphics that they have on the side of their trucks were awesome. So they had these super graphics and then they had, in in the Sacagawea case, they had like seven or eight pages. Now, I have to tell you, they need some help on the textual part of it. I think it's an old type pad blog is the way they have it set up and it's really oh, it's kind of really hard to navigate but here they have they have really good content they had what I was looking for they did have the rest of the story but I really had to dig to find it and I'm sure that most people never found it at all like why would you even work that hard I mean I'm working that hard because it's my job nobody of else course. is going to work that hard now of course, I just went through this issue with uh, somebody with, somewhere got they've looked at their web analytics and there's like one visitor it's, it's me. running up and down the hall going, it's, we got a visitor. It's me. We got a visitor. I hope they're listening. It was me. It was me. I went to every one of those pages. So then I'm checking. I just wanted to double check and make sure, like, did Chipotle happen? I mean, Chipotle, innovative company. We've talked about Chipotle many times on this podcast. So outside of some news coverage on the poems and the stories and how innovative Chipotle marketing is, I couldn't find anything regarding these stories on their bags or cups or anything else. And I, I honestly was very depressed, Robert, I got to tell you. So oh my, my, my point to this whole thing, so rave and rant at the same time, but more of a rant because what's the point of having all this great content and promoting it in your store or on your vehicles when it's impossible to locate online? I think it would probably be better if the stories didn't exist at all. So that's right. That's my that's yeah, my story. No, I'm sticking a, to it, man. It's a good story. It's a it's a, it's a it's a really good story, and it's and it's the it, you know this is something I see all the time which is somebody and what happens here is typically the following somebody comes up with a really fun and interesting idea to do something and they think of it how like a campaign 
And so they run it like a campaign. They get the thing going. They get the stories on the bags. They get the blog up, post up and running. They get the really cool video, you know, going. That's a little short film. They get, you know, they get something going, and there is, and it's a dead end. And then something happens where they say, "Oh, we're going to revive that," or basically somebody finds it somewhere online and then runs into that dead end. And it's simply just because somebody just they ran either ran out of gas or the fourth quarter got in the way or something like that. And it's just we don't think of it as a process, an operation. We think of it like a campaign, and that's the opportunity. It's like it's amazing to me how many of these content, great content marketing ideas just end up in a dead end, right? I mean, this is what we talked about even with the uh, the um, the Heineken thing, right? We were like, everybody's having a big debate over whether the Heineken thing where they go into him, you know, and meet somebody that's not, doesn't agree with them and they have oh, a beer yeah, together yeah, yeah. and they build a bar and they do the whole thing. And it's all wonderful about diversity and all these wonderful things. And people are like, oh, I hate it because it's a commercial. And people are because I love it because it's a commercial. And there's a great discussion going on about that and about Heineken's permission, quite frankly, as a brand to have this kind of discussion. But the one thing that you and I both ranted on, and it's like, if you want us to look at it as something beyond a commercial, then there should be a what's next. And and there is no what's next in this case. It's basically just, yeah, it's a kind of a neat mm-hmm. little thing that we did, but it's like, okay, well then now you're just telling me you're trying to market to me, right? If you're, if you're not taking it seriously, yeah. then there should be a what's next. That's exactly and right. That's, well, that's, we're still missing the what's next. And the other thing, you and I worked on the same project where the content team had this great idea for this new initiative, but then couldn't get permission from the web team to get any kind of links off the main oh, page. Yeah. And you remember just, that one. I mean, that oh was that was a great project and we just could not get anything. We finally, I think we got something in the footer, but that's all they yeah. would give us. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're working against each other sometimes in these companies, so. Frick them, frick them. Goop. Goop. <laughs> we're going to goop, goop. Goop, goop. 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 All right. This is the goop show. All right. <laughs> Anyway, we've got a wonderful This Old Marketing to talk about. This is a really cool one. Um, First of all, a huge hat tip to Yarin Porter de Leon. Um, I just love saying that name. Yarin Porter de Leon. You killed my my father. father. You killed my father. (laughs) Prepare to die. Um, Yarin Porter de Leon. Anyway, he sent this in via the hashtag and via email. So thank you for that. It's so, so great. This is actually a person. And this is... Um, this is somebody who followed, I don't even think read your book, but, but basically followed your book to a T. Um, and it's just a wonderful example of an individual who has created a content marketing uh, person. Um, this is, his name is Keith Townsend. Um, and Keith uh, basically was looking to, for a job. Um, and he was trying, you know, he was working in a technology company and, uh, he's a high level architect, um, at a big, large, uh, organization and he wasn't happy. So he quit his job and he started looking for a new thing to do. And he started producing content to find a, a new role that a new direction for his career. And he started creating all of these, these pieces of content and he started Producing, and we're going to put all these links in the show notes, by the way, folks. So he started creating content at virtualizedgeek.com, started to create articles and video blogs, and he created a podcast. Um, and really, the whole point of it was to build his online presence to the point where he could get a new job and that employers would know everything about him and that he was able to quickly find something that would be in his passion sort of um, centric uh, idea. And he didn't send out one single resume 
um, to anybody as he was looking to do this. And so he started to build a bit of an audience, and he sort of centralized it then, and he built this central thing called the CTOadvisor.com. And the, if you go to the website, you can see the CTOadvisor.com. It's a wonderful blog and publication. Um, he built his own Twitter handle for the publication. He's got the video blogs going on YouTube. He's got a podcast, which is the CTO Advisor. Um, and he's got uh, um, basically doing all these wonderful things and really focusing in on becoming a media company. And now he started his own business, basically. He didn't actually end up with a job, and he's basically started his own business as the CTO advisor. He's still producing the podcast, the blog, and co-hosting The Cube, uh, which is another podcast. He's got a daily video now, which is called the CTO Daily Dose, which you can see if you want to link out to. It's on social media, on Twitter, all those kinds of things. All of it has been around building his audience and driving a new business to basically a budding corporate technology consulting practice that he now does uh, as his as his full function job. So basically, he built a content platform to build a consulting practice, which is near and dear to my heart because that's exactly what I do for a living and is exactly how I did it um, when I met this guy, Joe Polizzi. And so it's just a wonderful story. I think it's amazing. So Keith Townsend, thank you for being you. Thank you for launching something really cool. We're going to put all of his links into it. It's a wonderful example of this old marketing that he's been able to do. People have said that you can't do it today. It's impossible to build an audience. It's really too hard. You should give it up. And he just did it. And he was just recently recognized, by the way, as one of the top 25 IT service management experts to watch in 2017. And so... Yeah, I just think it's a wonderful example of Content Inc. and this old marketing and, and a person who's doing really great building their building their business on the back of content. So, yeah, I, I think it's awesome. absolutely love this example, of course, uh, but it's interesting. So you and I get a lot of uh, younger folks that just get out of university and they're trying to say, you know, they, they come to us and say, well, what do I have to do to get into the content marketing industry? I don't know how to. Yep. And I, I just say, go build an audience around anything, around your passion. Learn how to build an audience. And if you do that, you take that into just about any company in the world and they will hire you if that's what you want. It'd be, or yeah. you could just, you know, go b- build your own audience like he did and that's your living. So yeah, it just exactly. opens up. I mean, because there's so few marketers that understand how to do that. So just go do it. And there's no barriers to entry. Any of us can do go it. Do it. Bo- go do it. Do, do, don't call do, it goop. Do, 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 do. <laughs> don't call it goop. Goop. All right. What is, so what are we? I mean, I mean, we're, we're punchy because we're both like staying up oh till midnight getting ready yes. for a content marketing role. You got anything going on this week? Uh, other than that? Yeah, I'm working on. I've got a couple three presentations actually that I'm working on right now, uh, which is, is, you know, the normal thing. We're getting in last, last minute attendees. Uh, we've got me, I've actually got four or five interviews locally set up. So this is the week we do, uh, I'm on the local Fox, uh, local radio, a couple of local radio channels, stations that I'm on just doing the promotion about, you know, why content marketing world and in Cleveland and you better get your butt here and all that kind of stuff. So It'll be a crazy, crazy week. And then I believe I get on site on Sunday. Well, I'll be there. I'll be down there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but then for good on on Monday and all the way through the rest of the week. So, yeah. And I'll be seeing you Sunday evening, I think. I get in Sunday. So, drinks will be had. Oh, drinks oh, will be oh, had. Oh, yes. <laughs> goop. We will be having goop sized drinks. Goop. 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 
Goop. Okay. Goop. All right. For this goop-like episode, that is it. For Joe Pulitzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. If you like this episode number 198, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? We do love the kind reviews. Um, you know, if you like the episode, we're called This Old Marketing. And if you didn't like the episode, go review us as like a Social Pros podcast or something like that. Um, anyway, when you leave us a review or if you subscribe, you know, let us know. Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing on Twitter. We'd love to thank you personally for that little kindness. And also story ideas, as you've been sending them in, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. You know we love them. We need them. This Old Marketing examples, just like this week, we need them. Hashtag us up. Twitter uh, Twitter us up at This Old Marketing. Or you can also send an email as Yadin Porter de Leon, you killed my father, did at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes as we go to publish on Monday night, and of course, in their replete Technicolor glory at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. We have a special episode with CM World. Don't be missing it. We'll see you next week. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. All right, bye. <laughs>